As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the you ain't no bark, dude, straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights, it's prime time. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast, I'm Randy Navarro, your host, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic, it is... Monday night, August 9th, around 9.30 p.m. I've got two co-hosts with me tonight. Carlos Ledo, of course, from MIA Sports All Day. MIA All Day Podcast, bro. Why are you killing me? Sorry, what is it? MIA All Day Podcast. MIA All Day Podcast. There you go. That's what it is. Let's start it. Let's start again. How's that? That's fine. That's fine. And then the great Kelvin Harris, three-time national champion, who now tells me that he can only be on with us for 15 minutes because he's too important. And I hear that Susan Miller Degnan is trying to steal you for her show, her podcast at the Miami Herald. Is that right? Hey, her NIL offer is pretty nice. Yeah. I'm sure you're getting some good NIL offers. Um, But did you tell everybody that you played your last game like in 1991 or whenever the hell it was? Hey, it doesn't matter. She, she started him off with that tuna salad he had today with the jalapenos. She paid for the jalapenos. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, guys, thank you for uh, for both joining me tonight to talk a little Canes football. Uh, obviously, camp got underway last Friday. I was there to watch both of those practices in person. So I've got lots I want to share as far as my own observations. But, you know, Bobby Bowden passed away yesterday. Uh, All right. And- Kind of, kind of the big story of the weekend, and obviously we knew this was coming. He announced that he basically had pancreatic cancer and uh, was terminal, and so we knew this was coming. But I wanted to start the show first off by getting your guys' memories of Bobby Bowden, and particularly you, Kelvin, because you played against those great FSU teams. I'm not sure if you took an official visit to uh, Tallahassee or not, but you know what is what is your fond memory of uh, Bobby Bowden? Um. I actually took an unofficial visit. Um, the first game of the regular season, my senior year. And, um, you know, he treated um, the Fort Myers guys well. Um, matter of fact, James Cheney, who coaches uh, 
Lehigh Senior High School and is the head coach for Richard Young, who's the, um, I guess, the number one running back in the 23 class. He uh, he told a story today on the local news about how um, Bobby Bowden just showed up at his house, like unannounced, knocked on the door, ate dinner with the parents. And when he left, uh, Cheney's mom was like, well, that's the only place you're going. Because, you know, he just did it so unassumingly. And um, he was, um, you know, he, he took a little flack in his last couple, you know, months because of um, his endorsement of um, the presidency, you know, who he endorsed. But, you know, I don't have any bad memories of the guy. You know, he, you know, all the, I mean, I didn't go to FSU, of course, but I mean, um, most of the guys I know thought highly of him. Um, you know, he was a really religious guy, but, you know, like one of their uh, alumni, former players were saying, he didn't beat them over the head with it. You know, they prayed and all that there, but he didn't He didn't stuff it down their throat. And he let them, you know, Tallahassee is a little bit more conservative town. And I think he learned over the years to just kind of loosen up. Um, you know, Dion, I think, started it. And then the teams that he had and the, the late 90s, they were a little bit more looser. And then, you know, at the end, I think it was kind of kind of sad the way they pushed him out. Um, but, you know, there's never a good end in most situations. But, you know, to show you what kind of stand-up guy he was, you know, even though it didn't end right, he still um, fundraised for the, for the program. And he never said a bad thing about the program, you know. Um, and it, you 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 have to say he's one of the top five college coaches of all time, because he took a you know him and Schnellenberger they did something with the with Miami and FSU. You're talking about two schools who um, didn't have football history uh, going into the '70s, and coming out of the '80s, they were the talk of college football because of those two guys. And it's unfortunate that both have passed away, but their legacies will go on um, way longer than they, they live. I, I guess, Carlos, just being a UM fan and uh, always rooting against FSU, uh, is there any memory for, of you and Bobby Bowden that sticks out that just, you know, when you think about the great rivalry between them and the Canes, that, that is your favorite memory? I mean, being, being a Dolphins fan, it, as well as a Hurricanes fan, his exit to me sort of mirrored Don Shula's exit, right? The way yeah. Don Shula was pushed out at the end for Jimmy Johnson, just like, uh, you know, Bobby was pushed out for Jimbo Fisher. Everybody wanted something new and, and nobody realized at the time, you know, what they had. Uh, it's like the old saying, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And the, the legacies those two guys built for the respective teams was so great and so amazing that people became spoiled. And they didn't understand the work that went into creating those dynasties and those legacies and those championship teams. And not just doing it on the field, but those two guys, if you think about coaching and the types of people that then the personalities have been around in football are two of the most consummate professionals you could ever think of. 
right? I mean, they, they were both, you know, amazing winners on the field, but amazing people off the field. And it's telling when you have players from various generations, you know, with Shula starting in the 60s and ending in the early, in the late 90s, and Bobby, you know, going all the way through from the late 70s to the early 2000s, that their players throughout those generations respected and admired them each in the same way. So to me, you know, I, I always hated Florida State, but I couldn't hate Bobby Bowden. No, I couldn't hate him either. But I will say when you talk about fondest memory of Bobby Bowden, probably going to upset some FSU fans when I say this, but come on, you know, it's got to be white, right? One. And I will say yeah. this, the, the, cause you know, I, you know, obviously I was at the game, so I didn't see the TV copy until, you know, later. And that picture of him running down the sidelines is iconic, but I'll say this, the professional way in which he handled the loss says a lot about the guy because and if you compare him to to Spurrier, like Spurrier would shit on people and throw digs at people. Yeah. You never, you never saw Bobby doing that. No. And, and, you know, him and Tom Osborne kind of remind me of each other. Two real low-key, down-to-earth guys who, you know, we both tormented. You know, we tormented Tom Osborne, and then eventually he got his due. And the same thing with Bobby when he – um when he had Charlie Ward and they won their first championship and then he came back in um, 2099. Was it 99 or two? Yeah, it was 99. 99 with Winky, yeah. Yeah, with Winky and Peter Ward. That was that was an all-time great receiving crew. So, I mean, he just was steady and consistent and he believed in what he believed in and he didn't try to be something he wasn't. And, like and I said, always respected Miami. Yeah, and, you know, FSU, because of him, wasn't the typical right. Like, I can't stand Florida. I don't care who the coach is, you know. Um, but with Bobby, it was different. You know what I'm saying? It was different. And then after he left, um, Jimbo brought a little bit of swagger to it, but it was still a respectable rivalry, but they were just kicking our ass all over the place. So, you know, it was a little different. Um, Taggart, no comment. Uh, I think Mike Norville, I don't know, you know, it'll, it'll, it, it, none, none of these guys will be the same as with Bobby because it was just a classy rivalry. I mean, their guys would come down to Miami in the spring. We would go up to Tallahassee. You know, we hung out together. We dated the same chicks. I mean, it was, just, it was a, you know, and then him and Jimmy and then him and Coach Erickson, they had, like like you said, a lot of respect for each other. It was just, it was a, it was a, it was a contentious rivalry on the field, but a respectable rivalry off the field, and it was a fun deal, because to know that you play those guys and it meant so much, and you know, hey, he he lived a great life. He was ninety one years old. I mean, and to me, he kind of reminds the way he went out reminds me of how Alec Trebek went out, because you know he announced that it was going to end. And then he got a bunch of guys to come see him and call him and talk to him in the last couple of weeks. And then he just, he died. He died quietly. He died peacefully. Um, I mean, I'm sure his wife was prepared for it. They, you know, spent that last little bit of time together. I mean, it, it, it was a great situation when he was coaching. And I mean, 
you can't really, when you look at how your life ends, you got to say to yourself, even in death, he did it the right way. I mean, right. And you know what? A lot of guys have to wait till they die for people to give them their flowers and be given the respect and, and, and talk about how great they were. You know, Bobby got that throughout his career and throughout his life. So that tells you what kind of person he was. Yeah. I'll, I'll share one quick story as, and, and we'll move on to the next subject. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I remember being a young reporter. And this is back when the, the state high school football championships were up in Tallahassee. They were up there, you know, before they started staying regularly in the Orlando area. Um, yeah, what a mistake that was. Yeah, they had them up in Tallahassee. They had them in Gainesville. And I remember, you know, one night being in the stadium, and I must have been in my early 20s. You know, I was a young guy covering uh, the high school football championships for the Miami Herald. I remember one time racing to go get in the elevator to go downstairs because we were going to get ready to interview the players. The game was coming to an end and Bobby was getting into the elevator and he, he held the door for me. He didn't have to, he held the door for me. I remember getting in the elevator and I'm like, Holy shit, this is Bobby Bowden. This is the great, you know, coach of Florida state. And, uh, you know, he's there with some people and he says to me, you know, he asked me, he's like, where are you from? And, and I said, oh, I'm from Miami. I cover the Miami teams. And he said, oh, I said, those Miami teams are good, you know. And he, just, he, he was very cool, like very just like asking me questions about what I did, what team I was there for, what I was going to write. And by the time the elevator got down, you know, I wasn't nervous anymore. I felt like, you know, this is a really cool dude. And. I guess he just had that effect on everybody. He made everybody really feel comfortable. And that's what I know from, from talking to my friends who covered him in journalism for many, many years was as great as he was and as respected as he was by that, you know, within minutes, he made you feel comfortable with yourself. And I remember one piece of advice he said to me as I was getting out, he said, don't ever be afraid to ask a question. He said, there's no bad questions. And I thought, man, you know, not only did this guy make me feel comfortable, but now he's giving me confidence, you know, to go do my job. And and not to be afraid to ask questions. So, you what, know, what happened to that confidence? Yeah, I don't know where it went. I think I think you destroyed it, Kelvin. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna happened. say. I think I think over the last <laughs> two years, Kelvin, you you've really destroyed that little I mean, by little. It, it was before I got here. I mean, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we started the show by talking about Bobby Bowden because I wanted to hit a theme, and I don't know how much time we have with you, Kelvin, because I know you got things to do. But, um, you know, I was gonna write a column about. You know, I had a conversation with Manny Diaz this summer, and obviously Manny learned at the foot of, of Bobby Bowden. He was a GA up in Tallahassee. That was his first coaching job. And, you know, I, I had this long conversation with Manny over the summer. We talked about coaching in general, about, you know, the guys who are really successful at it, why they're successful at it, all those kind of things. And I never got around to asking Manny, but I assumed this to be the case. I wanted to ask him do you want to be the next Bobby Bowden or the first one that Miami's ever had? Because one thing that Miami's obviously had with coaching is the coaching carousel, right? I mean, guys have come in here, won championships and left. Well, for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, that's obviously not been the case. The guys that have come in here, you know, they get three, four, five years to get things right. And then it ends up finishing. And so now we're entering the third season of Manny Diaz and, you know, I think at first, and this is what our conversation came from, by the way, was me bringing up the fact that as soon as he was hired, why didn't they give a more experienced head coach at least an interview? 
And he, he took up that point with me over the summer. He said, you know, um, I understand, you know, maybe you wanted a more experienced head coach, but that's not the way it works in college football. There's only a few of those guys that are really successful, you know? That's true. And, and so he kind of wanted to give it back to me, you know, like, Hey, you know, we're all kind of just guys trying to get this right. And he basically said to me, you know, I don't know if I'm going to end up being the right guy for the job here. We'll see, but you know, at least give me a chance is basically what he was saying. And I don't know how much patience Miami fans are going to have. I don't know how the season is ultimately going to go. I know you, you Kelvin think it's going to go 15 and 0 and they're going to win a championship and everything's going to be happy. But I think, you know, one thing Miami fans should do and maybe something, you know, that they got to open their mind to is how difficult this job is in the sense of, you know, Manny had to fix a lot of things. Um, Recruiting. He had to change the offense. The culture. Uh, He had to change the staff. I mean, there are a lot of things he's had to do here to get it going in the right direction. And so I think he's got it going in the right direction now with, with the way that they're recruiting, the kind of athletes that they're getting. I think they got the right offense now. I think they fixed the recruiting department. Uh, special teams, kicker, punter, he's, he's fixed that. Um, now it's a matter of going out and, and beating the Alabamas and the North Carolinas. But if he doesn't do that this year, I hope that it doesn't become all of a sudden, well, Manny's not the answer because – I don't know that there's a lot of people beating down the door to get this job. He loves the city of Miami. He wants to make this work. And I think his heart's in the right place. And I think we ought to give him a chance and give him some time to get, to get the job done. Even if he doesn't beat Alabama or North Carolina this year. Let me, let me, let me add to that by saying, and I'm not just going to throw this in with Miami, but the following programs need to understand something. Miami, Florida state, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Texas A&M, Michigan, USC, especially USC, Penn State. Ain't super, Superman ain't showing up for none of y'all. If it don't work out with these particular coaches that these teams have, I don't know. Like let's let's take USC. They hate their coach, the alumni, the fans. And they seem to think that, well, we'll just get somebody else. Who? You get what I'm saying? I mean, um, Michigan, if Jim Harbaugh leaves and goes to the pros after this year, who takes that job and, 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 and makes that program successful? Georgia, you ran Mark Rick out of town. Kirby Smart is basically Mark Rick. If he doesn't get it done this year, and, you know, I've been saying to you all summer that the 2021 Miami team has nothing to do with the 2020, 19, 18, 17 teams. Well, I have to put the same onus and and spend with Georgia. I'm biased against Georgia. I don't think they can get it done. But I have to catch myself and say, hey, that was the 2020, 19, 18, 17, 16 Georgia teams that peed on their legs. This is a whole new team. And honestly, if I were a betting man and I was just looking at on paper, I would say Miami, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State would be my final four teams. 
because Georgia has the most talent. But if he doesn't win a championship or even win the SEC, will they run him out of town? And my question is, who are you running him out of town for? FSU found out the hard way when Jimbo left. If Mike Norville doesn't work out, who do you replace him with? And I think Miami fans need to understand something. Like you said, if you want to run Manny out of town, Mario Cristobal is not coming through that door. And if Mario Cristobal isn't coming through that door, who? You can't go get, you can't go back and do a do-over with Randy Shannon. That's not going to happen. Um, and let's be real. how We really don't know how good Mario is at Oregon without Justin Herbert, right? We're going to find out. Because he was four and three last year. Yeah, we're gonna we're go, we're gonna find out because they are the favorites. And then if you're Mario, why would you come back to Miami? You went four and three last year, and you made it to the to the to the, to the Pac-12 championship game. They love him out there. It's the complete opposite. Why would you come out? You can be the Dabo Sweeney of the West Coast because you only got to compete against USC and Washington for for players. Why would you come back over here? You got you to deal with all the bag men, plus you got to deal with the unrealistic fan base, parents, alumni. If you come to Miami, stay your ass in Oregon and eat that Phil Knight money up until he kicks the butt. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, let me let me cut in here, Calvin, for a second. You know, part of part of my thinking with all this, I spent all day today kind of going through different conversations that I've had with people over the past few months, years. And, you know, and I talked to Manny about this, just how difficult it is. Number one, um, you know, recruiting South Florida when Howard Schnellenberger took over, that wasn't a problem, right? Miami, Miami wasn't considered the football power it is today, where everybody wants to go in there and recruit all the best players out of Dave Barrett and Palm Beach. Um, so Manny's basically come in at a disadvantage in the sense that Miami's history of the last 15 years hasn't been very good. So all the kids that have grown up in this city look at Miami and they say, well, uh, yeah, that's the hometown team but I want to go play for Clemson. I want to go play for Alabama. I want to go play for Ohio state. I want to play for Georgia. I want to play for all these other programs that in their eyes are closer to winning a championship than Miami is. And I know Kelvin, how you feel about South Florida talent. You think some of it is overrated. And I agree with you in a lot of ways. I think some of these guys are certainly overrated, but nonetheless, that's something Manny is fighting. And last year with COVID-19, it helped them the fact that kids couldn't go out and take official visits. Uh, 
um, that kids couldn't even take unofficial visits, that their whole summer was wiped out. And guys like James Williams and Leonard Taylor and a bunch of guys who, you know, probably would have been swayed for one reason or another to leave their hometown and go play for somebody else. They didn't get a chance to do that this year. You look at the top six recruits in Dayton Broward County in the two, four, seven sports composite, Shamar Stewart, Marvin Jones, Jr. Kenyatta Jackson, Nigel Lee Kelly, Earl Little Jr. Julian Armella. They all like the hurricanes, but those national powers. Okay. Are swaying these guys to leave. I sat down for 45 minutes with Nigel Lee Kelly a week ago and talked to him about his tour. He went out and he toured the country with his mother. He loves Travaris Robinson. He loves Jess Simpson. He loves Miami. He had a ball jumping off those big diving boards at the pool party that they had a week ago. And he loved hanging out with the guys. He loves the fact that Miami doesn't put any pressure on them to commit. He loves T-Rob. He says, T of all the coaches recruiting him, T-Rob is the best. But then I asked him, I said, so what about the other schools? And he said, well, leaving Miami opened my eyes. I saw things that I never would have imagined. And it's like what Manny Diaz talks about. Those 48 hours away from Miami for these kids, 16-year-old kid, by the way, Nigel Lee Kelly was 6'6", 250 pounds. He doesn't turn 17 until late October. But this kid goes on these trips. He gets wine and dine. He goes to Oregon's um, – facilities the ones that Phil Knight built right those ridiculous facilities he's not going to Oregon he sees these NFL players right that went to other colleges training and doing rehab at these facilities and he's just like man this is unbelievable now look I don't know where, where he's gonna pick I don't know where he's gonna go to school but I'll tell you this Miami's fighting an uphill battle because these kids, when they go on these trips, they start dreaming about all the possibilities. And so Manny is at a disadvantage. It's a harder job than it's ever been before, winning even just in your backyard. And you look at the commitments, right? Seven of the eight kids are not even from South Florida. And the only South Florida kid is the cornerback from Fort Myers. It's not even a Dater Brower kid. So, you know, Manny, I think, has risen to the challenge in terms of hiring staffers that can go to other parts of the Southeast, recruit talented players, win in Mississippi, win in Tennessee, win in Georgia, wherever they have to go, Alabama, to get players. And so to me, I see something that I didn't see before, okay, in terms of the coaching staff and the way that they are hiring the recruiters, not only to be good here in Dayton Broward, like DVD and T-Rob and those guys, but then guys that can go to other parts of the country and get players. So I see a positive step with Manny Diaz in that regard. The second aspect, and I mentioned this earlier, is the hiring of the coaches to change the offense and then to go out and go into the transfer portal and bring in, you know, impact players um, that make a difference. You know, you look at the transfer portal, and I, I reviewed it today just going over um, what they've done year to year to year, picking guys up. I mean, they've got eight starters out of the transfer portal. And, and a first-round pick in, in, in Jalen Phillips. And, and now their quarterback, you know, one of the best quarterbacks that they've signed in the last 20 years, in De'Aaron King. So this guy knows what he's doing. And what I'm fearful of, Kelvin, 
is that if they lose that Alabama game bad, which is always a possibility, Alabama's got the best players in the country year in and year out. But I'm afraid that they lose that game and, you know, everybody's going to jump on this negative bandwagon against Manny Diaz and say he's not the right coach. And I think everybody's just got to be smarter than that because I think what we've seen is a lot of positive steps in the right direction. Well, I'll tell you like this here. First of all, Nigel Kelly's not going away. <laughs> I looked at Oregon's roster. I mean, how many Florida guys they have? Four or five? One. Okay. One, one is on scholarship. Okay. Listen, when you, I mean, okay, if you say Alabama is one thing, certain, certain kids are destined to get out of uh, the area. They need to. The Kenyatta Jackson kid, for instance, wants to get out of South Florida for whatever reason, whatever's going on in his life. And I got no problem with that. Earl Little is not going to come. I don't see him coming to Miami. Um, is he going to be LSU or Alabama? Him and his dad have a different plan. And then I just personally, I think it's a, I don't think Earl's son should come to Miami because legacy kids don't do well. It just would be too much pressure on him. It 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 it, 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 it would be it would be a, it'd be be an awkward situation. Shamar Stewart's coming to Miami. I mean, now he's doing what you're supposed to do. He knows he's the pretty girl at the party. He's going to string it along, get as much jewelry and, and <laughs> Gucci bags as he can. I ain't mad at it. You know, the Dooney and Burks, the Birkin bags, the red bottom shoes. He he going he gonna, he gonna to wear that short skirt. And he's gonna just let him woo him. And I'm not mad at it. But is this, is this sex in the city or is this recruiting? <laughs> a, co- a combo. But you know, I agree that, that it's definitely a difficult job. But you know, the fans and the alumni can get mad all they want. But if he wins nine games, if even if he wins eight games, I'm going low ball. He's coming back because the school administration understands a couple of things. You, you got money out there. And there's nobody out there to give this new money that you're going to have to give to, to. Like, if you look at college football right now, there's no coach out there that makes sense. I mean, I hate to say it like that. We we are in, like, those schools that I named, they need this, that the fan base and the alumni and the boosters you need to get them a big glass of Hennessy and sit the hell down because those programs are going to be better if they can keep coaching continuity. I mean, and, and yeah, yeah, I'll agree that you know kids get get out of of uh, out of South Florida and they see something, but you know, you're talking about Georgia, who pays everybody, and most of those kids are unhappy and. Therese Stevenson shows you they'll leave. Clemson, they're very selective. Um, they go after a certain type of kid. So, and if you look at it, how many kids from Miami has Clemson ever recruited? I'm talking about from the city of Miami. Yeah, I don't know. Frank, the, I don't know if there's a long list, but Frank there are Lassie. guys that they have gotten. Yeah, they, they recruited Frank Lassie. Okay. They went to Broward and they got um 
Marcus Tate. Um, they got the cornerback out of uh, university, I think. Yeah, Mullen. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're very selective. With, and, and I tell you this because I've heard this from a lot of coaches. A lot of schools don't really want Florida kids or South Florida kids, excuse me, because they don't want the headache when they have more than two or three of them. So what Manny is in a situation of, he's corrected a lot of situations that he had to correct, like you said. You know, culture's changed, the recruiting's changed, the coaching's changed. As much as people want to say the offense has changed, you know, Mark's offense was simple, but it ain't really that much different from what, you know, we're seeing now. It was it was a one-back-based offense. Um, the difference was he went from Brad Kaya to um, – what was that kid's name after Brad Kaya? I can't oh, remember. Malik Rozier? Yeah, that guy. He went from a competent, very good college quarterback to <sighs> a journeyman, and that makes all the difference in the world. And then he comes back and he has Nikosi, who he had groomed and thought, you know, had the ability. And Nikosi did have the ability. And he washed out. And then Manny inherits Jaron Williams, who had the ability, but he was a weed head. And then Derek King comes in and stabilizes it. So I don't necessarily say the offense changed. I said a leadership at quarterback position changed and it stabilized. Now we got Jake Garcia and, and, and Tyler Van Dyke. And when Ja'Curry Robinson coming in, we're set at the most important position. And, you know, I just don't see – or even if we do lose to Alabama, and then let's just say we do lose to North Carolina. We go 10-2. and two, Maybe we win the bowl game. Maybe we don't. We end up, what, 10-3 and three or 11-2. and two. He's going to get an extension. Because the administration understands that you can't keep switching coaches every two, three years and think you're going to be successful. You know, FSU is stuck with Mike Norman. They're going to have to give him four years at least. Um, I'm not sold that Dan Mullen is the right is, is is going to be graded at Florida, but they're stuck with him because even Florida can't keep switching coaches every year. You know what I'm saying? So. I'm not worried about I'm not worried about the situation with, with, with Manny. And I think we can get at least five to seven years out of Manny before maybe he starts thinking to himself, if he's been successful, do I want to go to the pros? Because that's really the only place I see him going because he's from Miami. His dad is a, a major political figure in the city, was a former mayor. Where would he go? Other than the Dolphins, you know. Well, so, I mean, he could always be fired because he couldn't win big, or you know, because of the pressure that uh, the boosters and everybody who, who gives money to the program could potentially have in this whole situation. I mean, let's not forget where were we a summer ago, right before COVID? It was about bringing in Alonzo Highsmith, right, to be the football GM, right? <laughs> Remember when we were there with with all the rumors of, hey, are they going to bring Alonzo in and what kind of power is Manny going to have to give up? And, you know, getting Rhett Lashley and Derek King, I think, took a lot of pressure. You know, the success of Miami had last season through COVID took a lot of pressure, I think, off of Manny's shoulders. But I don't know. I know how this fan base is, Kelvin. You know how this fan base is. You know how the people are. Um, they don't want to wait. 
And and I don't know why, because I, I think I think we should have learned the lesson from the Al Golden era. You're talking about a guy coming in from the outside who wanted to change the defense, play this three, four style that just didn't work for the school and, and the recruiting base. Well, I can tell you this. Let's let, let's look back at Al Golden. Let's look back at Mark Rick and, and see the difference between them and Manny Diaz. Just the, the major difference to me is I think Manny is more self-aware. I think Manny has shown the the, the willingness to see what hasn't worked and make those changes immediately rather than like Al Golden writing with his boy, a defensive coordinator or Mark Richt unwilling to change his offensive system or hand the reins to somebody else as the offensive coordinator. Manny fired Danny Enos, hired Rhett Lashley. And even this past season made a change, making himself the defensive coordinator again, hiring T-Rob, elevating Demarcus Van Dyke to the corners coach, firing or, or demoting or reassigning Mike Rump. Um, and making changes that made sense for the program because he felt something needed to happen. So I think at least from that perspective, the fans should be happy that he is self-aware enough to say that, yeah, I, early decisions that I made maybe weren't the best, but I'm willing to correct those errors and make upgrades in those spots. But what about if they go eight and four, Carlos? What if, again, and the only reason I say eight and four is because that's basically been the average Miami record for the last 15, 16 years. I mean, I don't, I don't think he, he gets fired. I think they, they uh, it's, it's going to be disappointing if they go in for, I think they should be at least 10 and two, to be honest. But then again, when was the last time they've had, you know, back to back eight, win seasons um, here in Miami or, or the last time we had a 10 win season before 2017. So it's not like this program has been setting the world on fire over the last 15 years. Um, yeah, eight and four is not good enough at Miami. It shouldn't be. But, uh, I mean, it's a little disappointing, but it's better than what's been in the past. And it's got to get better, I think. But I think 10 and two is absolutely realistic. And, and that's what people should be aiming for, at least. If we go eight and four, it's not on Manny. Well, it's I mean, probably injuries. It's probably De'Ara King going down. It's probably we we, we you know, the linebackers eight. completely imploding and, and that fall. I mean, at that point, I think if it was the linebackers, you could blame Manny because he's he's been the defensive coordinator, the the head coach. We're recruiting that position. Yeah, I mean, with so many guys coming back, at eight and four would be disappointing. Well, the reason why I say it's not going to be Manny because listen, at some point, what you people need to understand is I don't give a damn if Jesus Christ is the coach. It's on the players. You as a person, as a person in the uniform, the guy that has to go out there and perform. Didn't, didn't you guys hear what Jimmy Johnson said the other day? <laughs> hey, I, I put the talent together and I put the staff together. But I ain't playing down. So this is why it's on Mike Harley, Bubba Bolden, Eric King, Cam Harris, Nesta Silvera, Gilbert Frierson. Uh, DJ Ivy, Gervin Hall, all the seniors and upperclassmen. Because, you know, if you're Mike Harley, why did you come back? You probably would have gotten drafted. It would have been late, but you would have got drafted and you would have made a team. Um, you know, Bubba Bolden, he would be in the NFL right now. Why are you coming back? You're coming back to improve your draft stock. Well, one of the ways you improve your draft stock is win. So, and then from a personal pride standpoint, I don't understand how you can run around here and get your ass whooped and feel good about yourself, you know. And from talking to the kids, few of the kids over the you know, over the over the past few months, I don't see eight and four. I don't see them 
Even if, listen, even if De'Aaron King gets hurt, we wouldn't go 8-4 because Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia could beat Virginia Tech in a sleep. I mean, they wouldn't make that many. Like, there's just, we're at a point now where Manny need, you know, if this season goes like it should, let's just say we lose to Alabama and we run the table, go to the ACC championship, and then we lose a close game to Clemson. That would justify all of the changes Manny has made. And I don't think the program looks, looks bad. I think, you know, we can run the table, but, hey, you know, we got to go do it. And like I said, I've been telling you all summer, I don't take stock in what happened in 2019, 2020, for the 2021 because each year is different. This is the first year we got a quarterback. Our quarterback is the first year he's been in the same offense, two years in a row. Um, offensive linemen, this is the first time most of them have played in the same system two years in a row. So familiarity is there. And then with Manny going back to defensive coordinator, with T-Rob coming in as the safeties coach, DB's coach, and him and DVD, the synergy they have together, along with Jess Simpson, he's made some great upgrades, and he's got a championship staff. Now, they got to put good game plans together, and the players got to drop their motherfucking nuts and win the damn game. And not, give up, and not give up 800 yards of total offense to North Carolina. That was an anomaly. I mean, you, yeah, you definitely can't have it happen. But to be honest with you um, – I don't think the word you're looking for is anomaly. I think the correct term is shit show. Look, it was a <laughs> listen. It was a it was a horrible game, and I'm just gonna now, like. There's games in the NBA where they come in and they don't even talk about the game. It's like, look, that didn't happen. It sometimes it happens, and then with all that happened last year with COVID, and then you know the more, you know. Me and, me and Manny were talking about this earlier. They do a great job of not having leaks. So there's a lot of shit that's going on that we don't know about that if they would kind of let it leak out, it would ease the blow a little bit with, with, with the fan base and even the um, maybe even some of the alumni. But he does a great job of sealing up leaks. And then you find out Weeks, months later, oh, yeah, that guy had a fractured foot or, or that guy played with a hurt hand or, yeah, that guy. I was get it. Through. Kelvin, believe me, I get it. Trust me. But they ran, they had 778 yards total offense, 554 yards of rushing and six touchdowns. Tell me in your mind, the other than North Carolina and other than this past season, what are the worst losses in terms of bad defensive performances? You Clemson can in Virginia. And Clemson Hurricanes and football, and they didn't even come fucking close to that. Clemson is the, not even close. Clemson is the worst, and most embarrassing loss we've ever had. Yeah, this was a bad loss, but what they did to us in Hard Rock, and actually, I want to give a second to thank Dabo uh, Sweeney for what he did to us, because if he hadn't have literally gang raped us in our home, on our home field, we would still have probably Al Golden is our coach. And All right, so, so, Mike, you're going to have your hands full between my F-bomb and what Kelvin just said, so sorry, I apologize. <laughs> and and, and then, then 
the loss to Virginia in the last game in the Orange Bowl to get shut out. Yeah. I mean, listen, between FIU, Clemson, the North Carolina game, um, there's there's been a lot of ugly lately. Hopefully it's in the past. Uh, I think Manny has them in the right direction. And I'm more convinced of that now than I was at the end of the spring, right, even at the end of last season. I think just watching the way Miami has recruited. And that's the one thing I was going to, as we transition here to some other subjects, being there in person to watch the first two practices. I really feel like there's a difference with the last two recruiting classes, the one that they just finished getting and mm-hmm. the year before in 2020. And I'll tell you part of what the difference is. The difference is, is the kids that are in these last two classes, in my mind, are really bought into Manny. And I don't see Miami having the kind of attrition that they've had in the past. When you say, well, what's attrition? That's a fancy word. That's a bunch of dudes either getting kicked off the team or transferring out and you really not getting much of them at all. And, you know, the athletic does a phenomenal job. Max Olson, who's one of our national writers does every year, he re-ranks the recruiting classes and he, and he does this based on what the players became in each of those signing classes. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, They're always at the top of the rankings. And yes, they have kids leave their program, but their hit rate where they actually hit on a kid and they don't miss is really, really high. Whereas for Miami, you go back and you look at those numbers of the 2016, 2017, you know, 2015, all of those classes, the percentage of kids who actually develop into starters or don't leave the program early is not good. It's in the 50, 60% range at Clemson, Ohio state, and those other schools, it's in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. And so I bring that up just to say that obviously some of the news that we got recently here over the last couple of weeks is some top players from Miami, either getting kicked off the team for disciplinary reasons, like Avante Williams or B bad grades guys like Cam Williams, who was going to be one of your starting defensive ends. Wasn't going to start. Well, he he was in the rotation. He was in the fight for it. He was in the rotation, but he wasn't going to start. And then your favorite, the dancing bear, Jalar Hawley. And then the receiver, Jeremiah Payton, who was the number one recruit in the 2019 cycle. And so I decided, well, let me go back and look. Because we do this every year, right? Re-ranking the classes. Well, if you look at the 2018, 2019, and 2020 classes at Miami, the number one recruit, and all three of those classes is gone. Gone. Lorenzo Lingard's of Florida. Jeremiah Payton is, is sitting out the season. He's probably never going to play again at Miami. And Avante Williams definitely isn't playing at Miami again. The, the Lorenzo Lingard thing, I got to be honest with you, was fool's gold for everyone. Because it ain't like he went to Florida and lit it up. I mean, basically... Lorenzo Lingard is what's wrong with recruiting right now. And I'm not saying that the young man per se is a bad kid. I'm saying he was fool's gold to begin with. He played at a private school that ran a gimmick offense. And I call the the wing T a gimmick offense, even for high school. So he didn't really play against great talent, maybe one or two games a year. He was, bigger than most of the kids he played against. And 
you know, to be very frank and honest, the majority of coaches now in major college football are lazy as fuck when it comes to uh, recruiting. They let, and I'm going to keep saying this because it burns me up. They let a dude that couldn't even be the water boy, several dudes that couldn't even be the water boy, determine to them who's good. And it's just fucking stupid. You know what's funny? You know who you just described at the same time? Don Chaney Jr. He played in a wing T offense at a private school. Most of his games were against kids that he was bigger than, although he played against some public schools because Belen scheduled well. But yes, Belen scheduled well. That that there, There's a big difference. Belen, if you look at the history of Belen, they go out and they take a couple of headbangers. And when they had Chaney to that coach, is, is Rich Stewart still a coach there? No, uh, it's uh, Eddie. He used to be the OC. Well, it's actually Don Chaney Sr. He's the head coach. Oh, he's the head coach now? Yeah. No, I'm talking about who was the coach when Don was there. Was it still Rich Stewart or did he had, had he moved on? No, Rich no, had Rich, retired. Rich had retired by then, right. But they they, they hired from within the, the program, right? Correct. Yeah, well, it used to be Eddie, the OC, that was there for a while. That's now, I think, a Doral, right? Yeah. Okay, well, if you look at what happened when Don Chaney began to develop, they realized, hey, we got a bad dude here. We need to spotlight him by playing better competition. And they went out and they played better competition. And he actually looked good against the better competition. So Lorenzo Lingard, on the other hand, played you and Manny nine times out of ten for three seasons. Now, wait a second. Are we talking about me and Manny are a prime or me and Manny right now? Because that's that's a big difference. Uh, right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, dead bod. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me let me put my cold stone down, and I'll and I'll let me get in a three point stance. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what I'm saying is, then you got to look at Don Chaney's um, uh, uh, situation with his with, with, with his football um, family. You know, his dad. You know. Yeah, his football IQ was definitely higher. It was much higher because his dad, you know. Um, kept feeding him and impressing him and, 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 and made him work. And then because he was in Dade County, I will say this now. I mean, I think sometimes the talent gets overblown, but the one thing you will say about Dade County is that there is a lot of good football players. There may not be a lot of great football players. There's a lot of good to very good football players. So, Don Chaney, if you if you've talked to him, he um he's got he, he you know he's got he's got what I'm looking for. what's the word I'm looking for he's got pride he wants to be the best I'm not saying Lorenzo Linger didn't didn't but he had some some family situation going on there that hindered his growth as a football player and you know actually Manny you brought up a football player. I'm not going to name the kid's name that you brought about something about his physical situation that that goes back to what I, I, I say about the draft. You know, the, the little situation you brought up about the kid's leg mm-hmm. the other day. Right. That's how guys drop in the draft because you you have to go do due diligence the extra mile. And okay, when you when you when you targeted certain kids. Let's just say, all right, right now, uh, Shamar Stewart, the Kelly kid, Armella, Earl Little, those are at the top of your, your recruiting board. 
you got to look at those kids like the pros look at guys they want to draft in the first round. You got to start saying, you know, and, and a lot of coaches, you know, back in the day was standard. What kind of classwork is he doing? How is he in class? Let me just show up at the school and hang out in the hallway and just observe him. Uh, let me go to practice and look at his work yet. I need to look at his medical history. Now, that's a little tricky because of HIPAA laws. And a lot of times high school coaches ain't going to tell you, yeah, that kid got a fracture in his leg, but I ain't saying them because I'm trying to get him a scholarship. And then you don't find out about the joint till they get there in January or June. And then you got to have a surgery to re- you know, to uh, repair something. Yeah, I mean, but some of those kids got to realize if he's he's walking down the hall looking like DJ Laz, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think that Manny, I don't know if he took you know observed Dabo, but they've kind of taken the Dabo Sweeney approach to recruiting. They are really scrutinizing these kids, and it's all about the culture. I've had enough talks with DVD. They look for red flags. Um. And that's he good because I think I think too many too many coaches are, are slaves to to the two four seven rankings. Well, seven on seven. I'm sorry, I, I don't know who the two four seven guys are, but I don't see nary a football player on there telling me football players are good. I have well, no respect for any of these joints. Regardless of what two four seven sports says, they've got to get a better hit rate off of these kids, no matter who it is. And I think they're starting to do that with the latest classes now. I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of numbers. I'll just go through it quickly. 2017, okay, 13 out of the 24 kids they signed gave them solid production. 12 of them became starters. And so that percentage, 12 out of 24, not good enough. You need 18 out of 24, okay? Um, 2018, they signed 23 kids. 14 of the 23 kids gave them solid production. You had Gregory Rousseau and Brevin Jordan, the two NFL guys in there, plus 12 other guys who have started games that are still at Miami now with Jordan Miller. That percentage is better, but still only 60%. Um, 2019 class, okay? Um, That was ranked 27th in the country. They had the 18 signees and the eight transfers. That was the one with Tate Martell and Tommy Kennedy and, Jalen Phillips and Bubba Bolden. Now, that class, all right, Miami's gotten solid production from 13 out of the 26. Okay, 12 of those guys became starters. Again, that's 50%, right, out of your class of guys who actually become starters. I'm not even talking about first-round picks. I'm just talking about starting and playing an actual role. Um, In 2020, we look at the number, 21 kids signed, five transfers, well, four of those five transfers have been really good. De'Ara King, Quincy Roche, Jose Borregales, and Jared Williams, who's potentially your starting right tackle. You look at the freshmen, right? The 21 guys, the guys who were all freshmen last year. I already have 11 of those guys in the two deep going into this season. That tells me that Manny's doing a better job of identify- identifying guys who are going to help the program. And if you look at the 21 class, I mean, I can tell you from laying eyes on those guys for two days, those are legitimate players. They look like Miami players. They, I felt like I was back in 2002 looking at Miami practice. Don't you tease me, Manny. 
Well, well, hold on, hold on a second. You got to look at something. Okay. You got 2120. What was 2019? Who was in the 2019 class? No, what, what, was, what was 2019? Well, 2019 was Manny's first season. Okay. That's why he, he was behind the eight ball because the way he got the job and the time he got the job, you know. Well, they already I mean, had six kids from the 2019 class leave. Yeah, well, you got to look at something. Even though he was on staff, Mark still had final decisions. And Mark recruited differently. Mark was a different kind of guy. He was a different kind of, you know. Well, again, this goes back to my original point, though. He's he's recruiting the right way now. He revamped the recruiting department, right, with bringing in DVD and Pada and Cooney and those guys. Those guys yeah. have built better relationships with the parents. And I, I think T-Rob and Rhett Lashley – and Garen were, 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 the, were the executioners on the other side that you needed, the actual coaches to come in who could coach these guys up and make them better players. Well, so you to me, I, I think I'm just, I'm just sort of reiterating what I said earlier. You look at the results of the classes like I just read off, they're doing a better job at that, and that's how you win. You, you yeah, don't go 50% hitting on classes. That, you don't win I, like that. I, I agree with you, but you got to understand, a lot of times when coaches take over the way he took over, even the way Mike Norville took over, like, if you, you know, and, and I put him in this because he had a contentious first year because he had to come in and change the culture. And you see there was a mass exodus after this year. But now he's starting to put together the type of recruiting philosophy that he feels will lead FSU back to where they, they want to be. And it, it, you know, it takes it takes time. Very few people hit the ground running because you got to go in and you got to gut the place out. You got to run off some guys, and then you can't run them off like you used to. Used to, they come in and they just hey, you got to go. Yeah, and it, that goes back to what Manny was saying originally with the continuity. I think yeah. continuity is a big part of that, and I think one of the things that came out this week that was, you know, you knew it mentally, but you really, uh, for me, I really hadn't thought about it. Um, was De'Ara King saying this is the first time in his career he's ever had the same offensive system in back-to-back years. And that makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. So now you've got this whole staff running the same systems. You know, back-to-back years, you've got this different kind of recruiting culture and player profile that you're attacking um, for the last two to three years, and it makes a huge difference. Well, th- listen, that is one of the reasons why Nick Saban has been successful. Yeah, he changes coaches like women change shoes. But what he doesn't change is the systems and the verbiage. And a standard. Well, the standards never want to change. But you got to understand something. The system and the verbiage are very important. Because, um, you know, most people just think, well, we got this new offensive coordinator. It's going to click. No. You pass protections change. uh, Calls change how they're named. The way you call the play changes. Yeah, I mean, I, we could, I could run the same system as you. I could follow you as the head coach, right, or as the offensive coordinator. We run the same exact system. But if I call trips open, trips open, and you used to call it banana right, it's going to mess kids, kids' heads up, right? Yeah, and it, and it takes a while for them to learn, you know, to assimilate, well, that play was this play in this offense. You know what I'm saying? But what Nick Saban has done is whoever comes in as coordinator – they can bring their offense, but they got to fit their offensive package into the verbiage 
that his defense and offense runs. So the kids never have to learn anything new. Maybe a couple of parts here and there. It's the coaches. And then he puts a lot of pressure on the coaches. That's why coaches don't stay there that long because it's a high-intensity job because not only are you held to a certain standard the way you coach the kids, but then you got to get your head in the playbook and learn the verbiage of that system. And you got to assimilate your system into that system. So, but what makes it easy is, is that outside of Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin on offense, all of his offensive coaches come from the Patriots tree. Like Bill O'Brien made sense when I thought about it because he's coming from a Patriots background. So his verbiage that he's been using with the Texans is basically the Patriots verbiage, which he'll take to Alabama, which basically is Alabama's verbiage, but in a simpler form. So there's a lot less learning. Like when Coach Erickson came in with us, yeah, he changed the offense and we had a learning curve, but he didn't touch the defense. So his defensive coordinator, Coach Louis, and the defensive coaches that he brought in had to learn change to and play it. Like they didn't change shit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, listen, I, I'm, I'm glad you talked about continuity and verbiage and all that stuff because I was it was kind of seeping into the next little point I wanted to make before we moved on to some questions. But I studied this summer in my free time. I went back and I looked at Alabama before Nick Saban took over and continuity and a bunch of different little factors, which coaches he kept around. Same thing for Clemson. Same thing for Urban Meyer at Florida. Uh, you know, same thing at LSU. Sounds like the homework assignment I gave you. Yeah, the homework assignment you gave me. Um, Here's something that people need to understand, even with Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. The difference for Manny, you know, because everybody says, well, he, you know, year three, why aren't we winning a championship already? Year three, why, you know, why aren't we playing in the playoffs? Every one of these dudes who ended up winning a national championship, they took over programs that had top 10 recruiting classes. Let's not forget Florida State, when Jimbo took over, everybody knew he was the coach in waiting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't a big change. Like, yeah, James Coley and Mark Stoops were first year coordinators under Jimbo, but they were part of the system for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. They were learning. They were there carrying on the same thing. When Manny took over, he basically had to like hit the reset button on everything. Reset the recruiting department, Florida State's recruiting classes, the two years before Jimbo Fisher took over. Okay. 11th and eighth nationally. Um, 
go look at Les Miles at LSU. His recruiting classes, the two years before he took over, fourth and 14th. They had NFL players when he took over. Okay. Jimbo Fisher uh, was there with, with Les Miles. He was the offensive coordinator, uh, took over. So the offense didn't change. He just changed the head coach over there. Um, you look at Urban Meyer at Florida. Okay. Yeah. Charlie Strong. Charlie yeah. Strong was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And oh, by the way, Ron Zook was doing okay recruiting wise. Um, Ron, Zook was a, Ron Zook was a great recruiter. I mean, horrible coach, but a great recruiter. <laughs> I mean, so you look at and even look at uh, what's his face, Dabo at, at Clemson, the two recruiting classes that were right before he took over, 16th and 9th. Okay. It's not like these guys took over some huge reclamation projects. Uh, Nick Saban at Alabama. This was Alabama going off of 10 and 2 and 6 and 7 seasons. They were 13th and 12th recruiting. Okay. Like they had players. So I guess what my point is, is like Manny had to go out, get a quarterback, not only to get uh, Derek King, then they go out and they sign Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia. He brings in an offensive coordinator who revamps the whole thing. I mean, they start recruiting better at the receiver position these last two years. I'm just saying, like, for the people who think this happens automatically, like the reason it happened at Alabama, the reason it happened at Clemson, the reason it happened at Florida and Ohio State and, and different places where the best coaches have been is because they didn't take shit jobs. They took jobs that had them in good positions. And, and all I'm saying is like Manny had a lot more to deal with is what I'm saying. Yeah, and you would think and you would think the fan base will be a little more understanding because they've seen it be crappy for the last 15 years or prior to Manny arriving, being mediocre for over a decade and still waiting for change. You have to understand that if it hasn't happened in over a decade, there's a problem. And it just—it's yeah. not just a head coach. No, it wasn't. And, it, and you gotta understand something. Um, you know, the fan base. A lot of them wanted Mario. Some of them wanted Butch Davis. And look, I—I I mean, hey, I come from that era, but I think the thing that I've been able to kind of sit back and realize is. There's more than just guys who went to UM and coached the UM that love UM and wanted to be a part of the UM. I mean, look, I, I mean, me and me and Navarro were talking about this a couple of days. I was talking to him about this a couple of days ago. Look, if Manny Diaz would have gotten offered a scholarship by the University of Miami when he was coming out of high school in 1991, are you kidding me? He would have cut off one of his fingers to take that scholarship. Tavares Robinson, I don't think we recruited him. When he was in high school, if he would have been offered a scholarship at the University of Miami, I'm pretty sure he would have took it. You, you see where I'm going with this? I mean, Ishmael, um, his dad has been the principal at Miami Northwestern for 15 years. And even though he was went to school up in Orlando, if the University of Miami would have hollered at him, he would have cut a toe off to join the, the you know, there's people in the support staff that just weren't good enough athletically, but have been big fans of the school. They grew up bleeding orange and green, who want to do whatever they can to bring back the glory years. And I think what people need to understand is, and, and, and more so our alumni, is that this thing is bigger than us. I mean, yeah, we, we made it happen, but an entire community, an entire region of the state fell in love with what we did. And, you know, most people come in 
They want to duplicate the success we had. They're not trying to harm it. Manny's not trying to harm it. You know, he's trying to bring back what we had the best way he knows how. And I think he's done a good job with the staff he's put together. And yeah, like you said, I, I think this the people on staff now, Manny, starting with Manny, care about this program in a way that collectively that it's been a long time, maybe ever, that you've had a bunch of people that aren't not just trying to win, but deeply care about the program and its legacy. Like I, I told my best friend, who's a hater, um, when Manny got hired, I was super excited. He was like shitting all over Manny. Like, how could they hire him? Why didn't they get crystal ball? Why not a more experienced coach? And I was like, first of all, when was the last time they hired an experienced coach that had a big time resume come down here and be that coach? That's first. Well, well, well I'm second of all, but, but let I'm me finish this point. Second okay. of all, you and me, and I told my boy, you and me grew up watching this team in the Orange Bowl. We grew up going with the park to, to the free tickets to watch them beat up on San Jose State. We would go out and scout tickets whenever we could to get into a big time game against Florida State or some, somebody else. Like, we love this program so much, we were willing to do anything to watch those games live. And guess what? Some dude that was sitting next to us in the stands, loving that program, living and dying for it like we did, is now the head coach. How can you not root for that? Well, on top of that, I'm glad you brought that up about more experienced coach. What was Ryan Day's head coaching experience before he took over at uh, Ohio State? Nil. Same, same as Dabo Sweeney. I mean – yeah. Every now and then you need a success story. Somebody needs to come from somewhere. And 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 I was, listen, Carlos, I was like your best friend. I guess I was hating on Manny Diaz too. I thought, and you know, well, you talk about. Who wears the name better than you? And <laughs> you, you, you resent him for that. He looked better than you. He wears Manny better than you. He wears yeah. a Wayavera better. He does. He, he does. He does all those things better than me. There's no doubt. But He's a better media person than you. I mean, he, he does. He cuts film and everything. I can't cut film. Um. No, I, I just thought, you know, you talk about who was the head coach. It was Mark Rick. Mark Rick was the guy they brought in with experience. And I was a Mario guy. I thought Mario would have been the perfect guy to come in here because of his recruiting prowess, because he loved South Florida, because he was a former Hurricane. For all of those reasons, I thought Mario deserved the opportunity ahead of Manny. But, you know, Manny's the only guy in the last 18 years to make UM look like UM. And, yes, it was a stupid turnover chain. It's a gold thick chain, but in 2017, when those guys were producing all kinds of turnovers and celebrating on the sideline, that's the only la- that's the only time in the last 18 years that this team has felt like Miami. Let's well, let's be honest. That 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 season where they were 10 and 0 and they beat Notre Dame and they beat Virginia Tech and the crowd was rock- that's the only time it's felt like Miami in the last 18 years. I gotta be honest with you. Look, I went to war with Mario, not only at UM, but also in the, in the World League in Amsterdam two years. I just – I was hoping that Mario wouldn't take his job. So so he carried you in college and at the, at the World League? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I'm not going to go cane on cane crime. I'm just going to let that one go. But <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is that that would have been – I don't know if it would have worked out with Mario because, um, you know, I think Mario realizes that if he would have took the job, there were still some kinks that he had to work out that even though Oregon has a certain status, the pressure is totally different. <laughs> like, I watched him lose a couple of games last year that if that would have happened in Miami, 
they would be trying to burn his house down. And you don't you don't have to go to games. Like people are flipping out over what's going on with recruiting right now. Yeah, but you know Mario is slowly evolving into a good coach, and I think what's happening is he's. He's over there, and I just don't want to disrespect the Pac-12 like that. But it is what it is. The Pac-12, there's just not a lot of pressure. I mean, you blow a game to Stanford, and the fans in Oregon, they're not going to get on social media and just say bad shit about your wife and kids and, you know, you know do all kinds of spells to have, you know, you know your eyeballs fall out. They're going to be like, hey, we're going to get them next time. It's just a different type of pressure when you You're come right. back. East. You're right. And I think Mario. It's the organic vegan diet up there and the legalization <laughs> of marijuana. Yeah. Well, look, if you're Mario, you got a great contract. You got great property for low prices. You got your pick of the litter of all of the great athletes on the west coast and you can come and cherry pick guys on the east back east and even if you fail they're not coming for your throat like if you can you imagine if mario would have come back last year and went four and three yeah at miami or okay we went eight and three last year can you imagine if he'd went six and five at miami you you Cubans would have uh, disowned him and tried to have him deported. Oh no no, I would have gone straight to Red Sayes and been at the little cafecito window saying this guy's got to go. Like him <laughs> him and and Fidel Castro would have been like one and one together. And, and wait a minute, <laughs> here's something. He's got his homeboy. That's his main his main guy is the offensive line coach. And when you see this guy, he's a buck like, fifty. Yeah, that would have been a real problem with the fan base if. The offensive line. <laughs> if we had a 150-pound offensive line coach down here, but you know what? He's a hell of a he's a hell of a coach. He did a great job at coach. Columbus. Does he does he's done he's doing a great job at Oregon. But but it would have been oh man, I could see the Canes Insight uh or no the Kane Sport uh message board. Those are like if you think Manny is negative, Nancy, you need to go to that Kane Sport board message board. <laughs> I mean well, I don't know if I'm negative, Nancy. I think I think today I've made a pretty strong argument why people need to have Manny Diaz's back and why this is a tough job. But yeah, I'm I'm look, I'm quite honestly very shocked at how positive you're being. I don't know if you started taking CBD like to calm yourself or you got a medical marijuana card, but I mean you're very chill, bro. Well, yeah, I, I think it's some CBD, and he might be lacing it with a little fentanyl too. <laughs> well, no, I mean I think part of it is you know studying this and giving it time to breathe. And talking to different people and getting perspective. I mean, you know, I may not be one of those journalists that that you know runs to conclusions with a hot take, and maybe sometimes you know I do don't, say some shade stupid berries. things. Is that what you're doing? You throwing shade at Barry? No, no. I'm just saying sometimes I may you know have some stupid takes or say some things wrong. But I feel pretty strongly from studying what Manny's done these first two years, talking to him, talking to people around the program, talking to people in college football, that this is a really tough job. And I think he's taken a lot of good steps the right way. And even if they don't win this year, which I disagree with you, Kelvin, I don't think they're going to go 15 to no. Um, 15 to no. <laughs> I still think that he's done so many things the right way up to now that I think Miami fans have to think that they're pretty fortunate. 
because they could have had another Al Golden. They could have had another situation where the wrong coach came in here and didn't know what approach to, to, to take. I think Manny's taking the right approach. I just think they may not be ready to win yet. And that's not his fault because it takes a long time Why to won't they be ready the to kind win? of athletes that you need to beat an Alabama or to beat a Clemson or to, you know, win the kind of games that Miami wants to win again and not just but, be in. But this is where I, I don't quite understand why you say they're not ready to win. Let's go back. I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to bring this up every time. The 2018 Louisiana State Tigers brought back pretty much everybody in 2019. Their quarterback, who, by the way, played against us in the first game, was a journeyman who, who transferred because looked like he couldn't even beat out Tate Martell well, for the backup. I'll, I'll tell you why. It's real simple. Because they had Patrick Queen at linebacker and a bunch of other guys on defense that were pretty bleeping good. And that's why. And I and I think Miami still has some holes at linebacker. They and have I'd say a hole, they have a hole maybe at will. But let me tell you something. Keontra Smith is a crafty kid. And Corey Flagg, as his dad told me the other day, every every week is a one and oh. That's all that kid thinks about. Well, and see, I get it. But Kelvin, let's 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 put this on your record. All right. Let's now I'm gonna cross examine you. I'm gonna put my legal hat on. All right. Keontre sure. Smith is 205 pounds soaking wet with maybe 25 oh. pound ankle weights on, right? You okay. as a center, playing center, if you had to come off to the second level and you saw a 205 pound Will linebacker trying to engage you, I think you would be jumping for, for joy, right? Like, I think you'd be pretty excited. Yeah, but you know, the ironic twist is he plays Will. He's going to be away from the big guys, like the, the guards in the centers. Because he's on the outside. Uh, now, Corey Flagg, okay, he's 5'11", 230. But look, this is a new age of football. There are no 250-pound middle linebackers anymore. And But there are 350-pound offensive linemen who play for Alabama. Well, well, I'm glad you brought that up. Because move. Corey <laughs> Flagg is more athletic than James Skowski. Okay. Okay, we went over this. You know, <laughs> you, you, you said, well, we got to have all these top draft picks and this and that. I'm going to take my 1991 team. We had two guys who went in the first round, and, and, and we only have five guys drafted in 91. Okay, we come back in 92. They came back in 92. They had no first-round draft picks. We won 27 straight games in a row, and it wasn't even close. Because we were good football players, but the way the process of the draft worked, you know, just didn't happen. I mean, honestly, the 92 team, if they beat Alabama, Ryan McNeil goes in the first round. Michael Barrow probably goes in the first round. Uh, Darren Smith was a new age linebacker. He was the first small, fast linebacker. I mean, he ran a 4-4-2 at the combine that year. But what I'm saying is, you're saying we're not ready to win because we didn't win in the past. But I keep using Louisiana State because all the, argument, all the argument that you're bringing up, that you're bringing up, mm -hmm. I had to listen to my homeboys at LSU because they hate it. And they still, to this day, a lot of them hate Coach Ogeron. And then you say, well, they had all these players. Look, we went over this. I know you don't think that Gervin Hall is going to get drafted. But if you notice... 
They didn't switch him out. He's getting drafted. Uh, Jordan Miller, I, I, you know, I th- I think he should come back. But if he does decide to leave and he plays halfway decent and he goes to the combine, he's going to get drafted because he's a D lineman. D lineman go higher than they should because there's there's a need for D lineman. We have a lot of guys that are going to get drafted. They may not get drafted in the first or second round because that's just how the draft goes. But if they play well enough, Mike Harley could, you know, play himself into a higher position. Um, Cam Harris is actually, now that I realize that he's faster than I thought he was and he's stronger than I thought he was, he actually could help himself if he plays a lot this year. I mean, you know, obviously, De'Aaron King is. Um, is a, is is a question mark because of his height. But look, you keep saying we're not ready to win. We have arguably one of the three best college players returning in all of college football at the most important position, and we have the best pass blocker to protect the guy at the most important position. That's a great start. Well, I I hope for Miami and and. Uh your sake that I'm wrong and that, and that you, and you are right. And that you, and that you are, I mean, listen, I'd like to see these guys win. I need subscriptions, right? I need people to sign up uh, to read the athletic to uh, not only download this podcast and your guys' podcast, but I, I you know, my what, kids, what I got to worry about my kids. What, what did I tell you about Jalen Phillips last year? You told me he was going to be the first defensive end taken. And what have I been telling you about Keyshawn Smith? He's a beast. He's going to be really good. I mean, some things you look at and it's just obvious. And let me tell you something. When I look at Chris, Keyshawn Smith, I see Chris Olave. And ironically, guess where Chris Olave is from? Right. San Diego. Yeah. Same area. Well, let's get let's get to some questions here because we got to wrap this up we've been over an hour here and and it's been a fun conversation a first sort of episode back together the three of us again um but we can hit these pretty quickly you know with some some opinions this is from twitter followers uh this is the first one why has miami struggled so much to get impactful linebackers this is from at ron mexico 718 ron mexico yeah that's his name ron mexico <laughs> 718. Carlos, you want to take this one? Uh, wow. Listen, I'm just shocked by the name, Ron Mexico, uh, because <laughs> we don't have guys named Ron Mexico recruiting linebackers. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll just say this quickly, and Kevin, you can add your two cents. I think A, linebacker is the toughest position to recruit in football now. Um, it is. And B, um, I, I just think having Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinkney, four year starters, kind of cemented in there made things tougher as far as being able to recruit guys who maybe wanted to come in and, and play quickly. And Miami has taken a lot of three and four star guys who are athletic and have skills, but have to be taught to play the position. Um, and I think that's just kind of what's happening now. You're getting safeties who they're trying to put weight on to, you know, play striker and strikers to jump off and play, you know, weak side and, and whatever. And, and so it's harder to fill. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is the toughest position because a lot of schools, like you say, are trying to make safeties in the linebackers. And even in the pros, you see it. You know, the Rams last year ran basically a three-three-five, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a hybrid three-three-five, or really a four-two-five. Excuse me. 
because they took Mark Barron and they made him a linebacker. Well, you know what? If I'm an offensive uh, coordinator and an offensive line coach, I'm stuffing that ball right down their damn throat because, you know, in that case, Aaron Donald doesn't take on blocks. He runs around blocks. So he's going to leave you gaps. And the linebacker position being coached is not being coached by linebackers a lot of times. So you got guys who are fundamentally unsound on how to take on blocks and how to tackle. Because let me tell you something, when you're sitting, because I did play the position for a year or so, and when you're sitting in the same position and you see that tackle block down and, you know, in these one-back offenses, it's not going to be a fullback. So you know when that tackle blocks down, somebody's coming to hit you. If it ain't the H-back, it's going to be a guard. And you got to get in that hole and feel, and you have to be taught how to feel. And linebackers, especially in South Florida, don't take on blocks. Mm -hmm. So you're right. They have to be taught. And I think we finally have, like, I got a lot of confidence in Packy because, you know, some of my philosophies on this team are based upon friends of mine's kids being recruited by Miami and what they tell me and how they like, you know, it's like, and I'll take it with Justin Metlock, you know, me and his dad, we go all the way back to 1994 and the Las Vegas posse and the Canadian football league. And we've been cool ever since. Cause I lived in Houston for 15 years. I did business with him. You know what I'm saying? But he took me inside how we recruit. And after that recruiting weekend and the way, you know, because I got a chance to see the itinerary, I was like, yo, this dude is on to something. I'm talking about Manny. Mm-hmm. And then I had other partners who went to our camps. And one of them, whose son plays linebacker now at Wisconsin, took um, – he took the – the, 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 the drills that he learned from Pecky at our camp and he used them his whole senior year and he's now an early enrollee at Wisconsin and he's probably going to play some this year. And so you look at little things like that. Jess Simpson is a technician. You know what I'm saying? I'm just looking at the, you know, T-Rob, DVD, you know, so we we have developers now. Garrett Justice. Um, I don't really know that much about Likens. I gotta be honest with you. But I mean, let's just be honest. The guy had back to back number one draft picks out of Arizona State. Out of Arizona State. Mm-hmm. So Manny has done a great job of not only re- re- restructuring the culture, but he's put together a championship coaching staff. And you know, it, we're right there. But linebacker is the one position that is tricky. Um, mm-hmm. Keontra yep. Smith, look, the, the, the thing that's really hurting us, to be honest with you, is Sam Brooks's toe. Right. Because yep. the first couple of days, he didn't practice, did he? No. Sam Brooks's toe and Avery Huff's development mentally is what's, what's – is what the question mark is. So we got to hope that Keontra Smith at 205, 210 pounds can get it done. And then Wayman Steed can provide a little bit of relief when we need it. Because I think we can 
play with Raymond Steed, but not for a whole game. No, those guys have to be pinch a penny, you know, a spot here, a spot there. Let them play on special teams. But well, watching look, them in practice, they were getting burned by Will Mallory in the middle of the field in coverage. And they just don't have the speed that you need at that position when you got to drop back in coverage. Well, so, I think Keontra Smith can play that position. Right. He can. He's very good in the box um, in terms of, you know, having the experience played there at Chaminade. And I think he's got the ingredients. He just doesn't have the body. So Yeah, but let me tell you something. You know what's going to make our linebackers better? The front four. Let me go back to 1993. I'm going to break this down to you. Our starting linebackers were 5'8", 210, 6'2", 205, 6'2", 205. Those linebackers were Rohan Marley, Ray Lewis, God bless the dead, rest in peace, Corin Francis, who just passed away a couple weeks ago. But they were effective because they had Sap, Pat Riley up front in the in the trenches, Kevin Patrick, Darren Crying, uh coming off the edge. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So if your front foe get it done, you can have us three playing linebacker. Right. No. And it, it it makes a difference. By the way, we lost uh Carlos. He had to go. So I just want to tell our listeners that that's why you won't hear him the rest of the, the podcast as we finish up here. But make sure to follow him on Twitter at MIA All Day Pod, MIA All Day Pod, and listen to his podcast. He's actually has a few canes that have gone on there to talk to him in the past. And um, good dude. Um, all right, let's move on real quick. Try to hit some of these other ones, Kelvin, so we can wrap up. Uh, what surprised you most being at the first practices for the first time in a while? This is from Mr. Wright 34 on Twitter. Um, all right, I'll say this. I, I thought the defensive backs, I felt like in the spring game, those guys were really, really aggressive. Granted, a lot of them were out um, with injuries. Um, you know, I think uh, Balaam was out. Um, Corey Couch was out. You had three guys in the secondary out in the spring. But what impressed me was with T-Rob and Coach Ish and these guys, they, they're getting their hands on the ball a lot more. And I'm not just talking about pass deflections. I'm talking about stripping the ball out. I'm talking about, you know, going for the interceptions. There is a lot more aggression from the defensive back position. And that's something that was really, really, really pivotal to the Hurricanes in 2017 when they led the nation or were among the nation's leaders in turnovers. Um, You know, they were stripping balls free. There was a nice play that Bubba Bolden made on 11 on 11 where Harley caught the ball, had an angle, was getting past him. Bolden dove, got his hand on the football and knocked it out. And granted, it's shorts, helmets. But again, it shows you what I think T-Rob and Manny are really emphasizing. And after practice, I asked Amari Carter, I said, is this something that Manny and the coaching staff is stressing? And he said, absolutely. That's something mm-hmm. that they've been talking about since the spring, getting their hands on the football knocking the ball free. Um, Marcus Clark, who, you know, I think he weighs less than Xavier Restrepo. Xavier Restrepo's quads by themselves probably weigh more than Marcus Clark. Um, He wrestled the ball away from Xavier down the sideline for an interception on a beautiful pass by TVD, Tyler Van Dyke. And again, it was aggression. It was fight. It was enthusiasm. And he just 
took the ball out of Xavier's hands down the side and picked it off. And so if that's what we're going to see all season long from Miami secondary, then you know what? I think they're going to have a really good year. So that's what impressed me the most watching it in person. And I would say also the freshmen, just all the, the size, you know, the James Williams, the Leonard Taylors, the, you know, Romello Brinson, who probably needs to add a little bit more weight, but the other guys, Bashard Smith, Jacoby George, a receiver, like these guys, you can tell that they are old school Miami players just in the way that they carry themselves, the confidence that they play with. Um, so those were sort of the initial impressions of being able to watch two days worth of practice. Um, I know you weren't there, obviously, Kelvin, but from what you read, what intrigued you the most? Um, well, I had a feeling we were going to have some receiver death. Yep. But I, I'm going to say um, Keyshawn Smith, because I had been hearing, you know, after watching him in the spring game and, and a little bit last year, it was interesting to see how his offseason was going to be. And King had told me a couple of times that he looked good. But, you know, to have it reinforced on the first two days that you hear other players talk about him being a freak, that's when you start to realize we got something special. And then quietly, because nobody really brought it up, Jalen Rivers. Right. He's gonna be a, he's got a chance to be a first round draft pick. Well, obviously with the injury to John Campbell, that changes that dynamic in the front because I think John was sort of looked at as maybe number six or number seven in the rotation. And seven, the fact probably seven, seven or eight. Yeah, I think the fact that he's hurt moves Justice uh Alawasun to right tackle instead of playing inside to maybe put some heat on uh, on Jalen. Um, and, of course, Ja'Kai Clark is hurt. So right now, at least the first couple of days, you had DJ Scaife playing backup left tackle, and you had Justice Alawasun playing right tackle. And so that left, you know, your favorite, 75 and 57, in the backup guard role. So I think without question, Jalen Rivers is going to get a lot of snaps, a lot of opportunities in camp to win that job at left guard until that job is already won. Well, yeah. I mean, to solidify it. Okay. And until, you know, Ja'Kai Clark gets healthy or Miami feels comfortable enough to let justice all of a sudden move back inside and not be at one of those tackle spots. Well, actually he's, um, he's going to play all the positions. Right. He's another um, swing man like DJ Scape. Yeah. Uh, Garen has a lot of confidence in him, and one of the things that that guy does, that kid does, is he's a he's an avid film study guy, and he'll help because uh, I think Garen was was you know he 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 wanted to see a little bit better film study. I mean, he said they're they're good, but he wants them to be great. And this kid, he said he's the best film study guy he's ever been around. Wow, it's high praise, and. And he's a fucking monster. I mean, you know, um, you look at his high school film. He's a mauler. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and going out to UNLV gave him a chance to work out some kinks in his game. You know, the, and, 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 and that's what the transfer portal comes in at now. Guys like him who maybe weren't quite ready for prime time, 
they go to a place like UNLV or SMU for two or three years, and then you know they're ready to go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So this this kid has started at right tackle, right guard, left guard. Well, we're gonna make this one the last question just because we gotta we gotta wrap up here. Yeah. But I'm gonna save some of these other ones for the next podcast next week to tackle. So Larry Shender, Jay Valero, eighty one, uh, Dennis Onan. Thank you for sending the questions in. I got them. We'll, we'll hold them for next week for sure. But this is from Larry Shender. And this one's kind of easy. Who's the RB1 first play against Bama? Cam Harris. Agreed. I think Cam, he made uh, he made our uh, 101 freaks list by Bruce Feldman. He's number 50. And I think he's very motivated, number one. And I think, two, physically he's there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like I was telling you earlier today, this offense isn't really suited for him. And he's had to, he had to adjust a little bit because it has him going a lot more sideways than he should be going. He should be going downhill. But he's made the adjustment. And physically in the weight room and on, on Green Tree, he's gotten faster. He's gotten leaner. He's gotten stronger and somewhat bigger. And he he's oh, he always plays with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, I really appreciate that kid. You know, he's a, a quieter version of DJ Dallas. He's a combination of DJ Dallas and Travis Home, just a little bigger. Yep. Calvin, thanks for doing the show with me tonight. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks to uh, Carlos Ledo, uh, again, MIA All Day Podcast. Uh, Kevin, you want to tell people where to follow you on Twitter and, and where they can get your huddle cast? Yeah, sure. Uh, Ebony Lifestyles. That's uh, E-B-O-N-Y-L-I-F-E-S-T-Y-L-E-S. And um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Miami Huddlecast, the U Podcast. But on it'll be listed as uh, M-I-A-M-I dash. Huddlecast, H-U-D-D-L-E-C-A-S-T. Um, on this latest one, I'm going to have a breakdown of Clemson with um, arguably a much better writer for the athletic <laughs> than Manny with Grace Grace Rayner. You, I mean, you got the right one for sure. You guys are going to see the difference. I mean, she's just, you know, her, her grasp is just – she needs to tutor Manny. <laughs> and I, I, I told her she should. <laughs> Off the yeah. air, she said that you're incorrigible and it's just right. Cause. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up the show with that and encourage you to stick around here for a 10-minute interview. Sean Shapiro, who is our National Hockey League business writer, he interviewed De'Ara King, who today signed an NIL deal with the Florida Panthers, the first uh, professional sports team to sign a college athlete to an NIL deal. Um, Derek's actually going to be bag, man. He's getting them bag, man. He's he getting them bags. Getting... And so uh, Sean, who works with me at the athletic uh, did an interview with him. So I'm going to plug that in here at the end, but thank you guys for checking in here. The wide right pod. Thank you, Kelvin. Thank you, uh, Carlos. We're going to be back next week uh, as practice and camp continues, but thank you for, uh, for joining us for the show. I know once the NIL thing became an option, you've been kind of uh, 
aggressive in figuring this stuff out. So I just want to know kind of how for you, from your perspective, how the deal with the Panthers came to be and why it seemed like a fit for you. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, as far as like community, right? So, you know, being yeah. down here in um, playing for Miami Hurricanes, it's, it's a big sports community. And I just thought it made sense for me, uh, you know, to do a deal with the Florida Panthers, obviously because it's a hometown team, it's hometown hockey, hometown hockey team. And um, it just, you know, I want to align myself with community-based things. And I think the Florida Panthers, like, would give me a, a big platform, um, you know, just to, to show how much I appreciate South Florida as a community. And it's it's kind of – it's one of the things that once all the NIL stuff came out, I know there's been kind of a interesting – it's been a new space to dive into and to take advantage of and everything like that. And for you, I mean, this kind of this is kind of a it's kind of a cool thing. You're the first – you'll be the first pro athlete, the first athlete to sign – college athlete to sign an NIL with a pro team, even though it's not, not a football team but a, but a hockey team. I mean – what 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 do you kind of see from that kind of uh, element of it? Because I mean, it's kind of a, a unique way to that you space you're diving into that I don't think we've seen anyone else do yet. Yeah, I, I just think you know, um, like for me, the whole my whole goal when NIO dropped was to you know do things the right way, and yeah. that's what I'm trying to do. And like I want to work with organizations that you know value the same that I value, which is community. You know, having you know, the same core values. So that's what I kind of you know, base my decisions on. And I have a, a really good team behind me, um, Dusty Stanfield, who's my my, my marketing director. Um, he does a really good job. And, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, you know, I kind of I talked to him. I kind of put it on Dusty, and Dusty was letting me know everything that was going on. And, you know, that's how this, you know, deal came about. And, like I said, it's a great it's a great deal for me. It's uh, you know, a great way to, you know, reach back to the community, you know, support uh, the hometown team, and, and also, you know, um, just do something that hasn't been done before. Like my one of the biggest thing I want to do is you know show guys that's you know five ten years from now, you know hopefully a, a right way to go about the whole NIO thing. So that's what I've been trying to do. What are uh, I mean I was, I was talking to some people from the Panthers a little bit about some of the collaborations that you guys might work on, whether it's the food and beverage, uh, the art, art, whatever. Like, can you tell me just a little what what excites you about some of the collaboration stuff you guys are going to do? Yeah, or, you know, you know, whether it's a, a concession stand or you know, even coming out with like maybe a T-shirt, or something like that. It's just, it's just big to you know collab with such a a, a great brand. Um, and like like I said, for me, it's just about you know working with the the right people, working with the right organizations, and you know just collabing. Uh, whether it's a you know Dear King Burger or whatever it might, it might come, we haven't like really discussed it in full details yet. But um, however they can come out, I think it'd be great. I heard there was mention that it, you think you're kicking you're kicking around the idea of doing something where of uh, whether it's with the burger or the food item of uh, getting the linemen involved or getting something or have, having them sample it or something like that. Did I hear that right from the Panthers yeah. people? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I guess uh, like I said, we haven't discussed it in full detail, but yeah. I would like the world people work on that. Um, I want to you know give that to, to a charity of my choice or you know my offensive lineman or somebody like that. Um, so that's the plan with the whole you know, collab. What uh, this whole thing, kind of big picture? I mean, I'm kind of curious. You've gotten a couple other deals. This will be, I believe, your third or fourth deal. Um, what have you learned about? I mean, this is such a new space, and you've been working with your team. What have you been learning about all of this this stuff as you've been working this stuff out? And and uh, and I guess to kind of piggyback on that question. Why were you so ready? Was it something that you kind of you and your team had talked about, kind of in anticipation, or just like so? I guess kind of a two part question there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, this, this this is brand new for, you know, every college athlete and my my thing was 
um, I'm looking for like the future, right? So everybody doesn't go to school and play football and you know make it to the NFL, or NBA, or you know with the, the professional league. So I'm using this as like a learning tool. Like I I never had a job before, so just really my first time you know doing anything business wise. So you know being in school is great. You get a free education. You can do a, a lot of things, but you know 90% of the time like your sport takes up all your time. Um, and you know just me being able to you know balance both with focus on my focus on football, which is, you know, by far the most important thing to me, but also learn as I go, like learn how to go, you know, go to the bank and make it, get a, or, you know, make an LSC, get a business account, um, you know, mm-hmm. learn how to talk to people, learn how to, you know, connect with different brands and, you know, market yourself. And I think that's really good learning tools as far as, you know, when I'm done playing football, if, you know, the next level doesn't work out, I have something to fall back on. And, and just me learning right now while I'm still in school rather than, you know, playing football for, you know, four to five years at university, then, you know, okay, bye, see you later, and you don't know what to do with yourself. So, um, I'm using it, you know, as a way to learn, you know, learn business and, you know, learn how to work with people, learn how to, you know, you have, you know, people that work for you and learn how to deal with employees and, like, all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. that I'm learning as I go. So that's, um, so that's what I've been doing. What, uh, so I got I to gotta ask you about what, what the Panthers, yeah. I mean, are you, how much, how much, uh, how much Panthers hockey do you watch? How much, are, how much of a hockey fan are you? How much have you watched? And just, and just. I'll just throw that out there. How much? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I'm from Houston, Texas, and Houston, Texas is not yeah. really big hockey. But I just I was yeah. telling everybody today, um, anytime you know hockey's on TV, me and my older brother love watching it because it, it reminded us of football. We called it when I was real little. We called it football on ice, you know, because it's so aggressive. Yeah. You know, and the, the fans are so passionate about the sport. Like I always enjoy watching it. Um, I haven't um, came to a Florida Panthers game yet, but I plan on coming to you know as many as possible this upcoming year. Um, my, I know Coach Diaz came to a few games last year, and he seemed like he's having a great time. So I, I'm looking forward to you know supporting the team and coming to as many games as I can. When you did, you guys ever to uh, when you came from Houston? And I know there's, I don't know if you were if you're old enough to have gone to a couple of games. I mean, I'm going to date myself yeah. on the years there, but did you ever go to any Arrows games when they were in Houston? I know they they were there yeah. until like 2013 or 14 or something like that. Did you ever going to go to any Arrows games as a kid? I went to one game. I was I was really really small. I was like. <laughs> Six, six, seven years old. So I, I, I remember going to the game, um, but I definitely remember arrows. That was, that was a big deal. I'm, I'm curious as a kind of going back to we talked about. Hey, this is all new space for everyone. With yeah. what you've been doing on this stuff, like, have you had other college athletes reach out to you or talk to you about like, hey, you have any advice on how you do this or like? I'm curious of just like what the conversation is like amongst college athletes right now. Like you guys are as everyone's trying to figure this all out, like, do you ever get a call from someone and said, hey, what do you think about this idea? Or, hey, how'd you do with this? this that, that, that's cool. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's someone you picked someone else's brain. I don't know. Anything like that? Uh, Yeah. So I, this this whole summer I've been to a bunch of, like, you know, quarterback yeah. camps. So Peyton yeah. Manning, New Orleans. I've been to the Steve Carson in L.A., Quincy Avery in Atlanta. And, you know, it's a bunch of college guys out there, a bunch of college quarterbacks and sometimes college receivers. And, you know, it's like when – Quarterbacks are not naturally like the leaders of, you know, NIL or a team or whatever. And we definitely bounce my deal off each other, ask each other, like, who you're working with and how you, how you get this done and um, things like that. And also on my team. So we talk about it, you know, um, a bunch of my team and, you know, a bunch of us work with the same people. So that's so that's been good. And we, we all – the beauty of everything is, like, we all learn together. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so a couple guys, you know, Malik Willis, Max Brown, um, Bryce Young, and people like that. To, you know, talk about NIO and how we can, you know, uh, bring up brand value. I mean, I know we, t- we already touched on already, but last one, and then I'll let you go. I mean, there's got to be, it's got to be kind of cool to to partner with an organization that's, because 
what the Panthers are doing. I'm sure there's other pro sports teams that are looking like, well, hey, we should be doing something like that. I mean, I'm sure that aligns well with what you're thinking about just as far as trying to be forward-thinking, right? 100%. And I think it's really big to, you know, be the first-time athlete to sign, you know, a deal with a professional organization. Um, I think that's huge. And that, that just shows the, you know, the support of the community. Um, it, South Florida is very different. I'm, I'm from Texas. I'm telling them football is a religion in Texas, and we got support. But out here in South Florida, it's, it's a big family. You know, everybody supports everybody, and that's why I'm super excited to, to do this deal with the Florida Panthers. Um, it's huge. Five, nine, five, four, five, six, eight. This is the state of Miami.